Damon Edwards and John Willis are the hosts of DevOps Cafe, a popular podcast about DevOps. Damon and John, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Hey, how's it going? This is John. This is Damon. Good to meet so, you, Jeff. So most of my listeners are software engineers. What would you like them to know about DevOps, and what is DevOps? Damon, yeah. you go first? Sure, I'll go. So, I mean, uh, the easiest way to think about DevOps, uh, you know, it's a cultural professional movement. I really like that, that idea. It's not a specific methodology. It's not a specific set of tools. It's a concept that uh, we're all part of this value stream, right, that there's, there's ideas to – uh, turned into running features in customer-facing environments. There's all kinds of bottlenecks, inefficiencies, risks, things that get in the way of us delivering quicker and more reliably. And uh, DevOps is a movement that's all about identifying what those things are, talking about those problems, figuring them out together, and going and solving them so people can deliver software and services faster and more reliably. Yeah, you know, and, and this, John, so the, um, it's funny, kind of me, Damon, to become the kind of car talk guys of this this space because we started doing this uh, like six years ago, I think. Um, and what we've learned, we've learned a lot. Like from what we what we thought when we started out. Like uh, I think very early on, there was that quote that DevOps is a cultural and professional movement. Full stop. Right. But um, what we've actually picked up along the way is it's so many things, and probably most important, maybe for this audience, is um, a lot of what we've learned is direct lineage to lean. Um, all the things that came out of the manufacturing, it's, 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 it's kind of, uh, it's eerie or, you know, maybe it's, it's, um, it makes sense that uh, we, we can, we see more and more, um, especially over the last few years, how well um, what we talk about flow and, and delivery maps to uh, the manufacturing metaphors through lean from an Americanized version of what Toyota did um, Toyota Parks and Systems. So we talk a lot about. Uh, uh, if you look at my my uh, icon on Twitter, Botch Gloop, it's Deming's icon. So <laughs> yeah, and this this is Damon. Let me add one more thing in there too, which is I, I think you realize that what makes what sets DevOps apart from other you know kind of technology movements in the past is it's not really about the technology. I think there's a lot of tools and design patterns and things we do at the technical level with the hands on the keyboard that that make the difference. But the reality is I think why DevOps came about and why it's gained so much, so much steam is because it's about the business. It's about solving the problems that we're here, we're here to solve. And that's kind of one of the lessons of, uh, you see why I think it maps so well to the lean manufacturing revolution is that it wasn't about producing bumpers or producing engines or even wasn't really about producing cars. It's about giving the customer what they want, when they want it at the lowest uh, cost possible. And that's the same thing here, which is it's not a soft, about software development. It's not about systems administration. It's not about networking. Um, it's about you know giving the customers what they want, when they want it, at the lowest cost to us possible, so we can find out what the lights them and do more of that, right? It's, well, and, it's, you've it's seen, and you've seen the lean movement uh, gradually percolate to all areas of the business stack, all the way up to the, to the aspect of the lean enterprise, which is, a, which is a recent book by Jez Humble, who I know you had right. on your show. Um, so talk some about the history of DevOps. How did we get to where we are? Sure. I can, no, let me start with that one. So, um, well, John was actually there, so I'm going to, I'm going to describe it from, from a, almost at the, almost at the flashpoint <laughs> and, uh, how I got involved. But, uh, this guy, Patrick Dubois, um, is in Belgium. He's a consultant, uh, was a consultant and he had this kind of funny idea if he wanted to try every, 
you want to do everything in the IT spectrum, right? From from development to operations to testing, right, and everything in between. And uh, in doing this, you know, he'd land all these different jobs, and one of them was for a large bank, and he had the and so he was involved with a big big data center migration. So he had to sit between the ops guys who were running stuff and sit with them for a few days. Days, and then jump over the next day, couple days to the dev guys who are trying to get the new stuff in the new data center. And he felt this sort of agile, um, but kind of these blinders on, like, oh, we're, we're great. We're doing this agile development and we're you know, producing pounds of code, right? Um, but it would look good in a demo environment. Um, but then he's in the operations side and it's fire drill and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's more chaotic. Uh, but they're running the business of getting stuff done. And he saw how these were just completely two, you know, two, uh, um, two uh, orthogonal kind of ways of thinking and views of the world. And he was thinking about, gee, why aren't, why isn't there? There's more to the story than this, but why isn't there a conference where both these groups get together? And then he saw a presentation um, that John Alspaugh and Paul Hammond did at the Velocity Conference in 2009, I believe it was, um, which was, uh, you know, DevOps ten plus deploys a day. Um, at Flickr, right? And it was a, here was the guy that ran dev and the guy that ran ops together on a stage, you know, just just bantering back and forth, talking about what it's like to work together and how they got this, what at the time seemed like an insane throughput. And Patrick decided to put together his own event called DevOps Days um, in Belgium that was basically a giant meetup on steroids. And um, he chose the name because, hey, there's going to be dev people there. There's going to be ops people there. Um, and it's two days long. So sort of in his Germanic kind of naming style, he put it all together and said, it's DevOps days. And a bunch of people came, one of them being John. And then as people left, you know, on Twitter, uh, DevOps days, an extra, you know, five letters there, four letters, D-A-Y-S is expensive. So people lopped it off and the conversation continued as, you know, hashtag DevOps. And literally, literally that's where the word came from. It was just kind of born out of, out of chance. And then John, you want to kind of talk yeah, about yeah, no, what happened from there and sort of what other threads well, came into it? Well, other, it's important. It's important conversation. We don't uh, we we don't give ourselves enough credit here, Damon. Uh, so uh, a while back, me and Damon both blog on Gene Kim's um, itrevolution.com blog site. So Gene Kim, the Phoenix Project, uh, we're all in a, in this kind of cabal here, this DevOps cabal. But uh, I did this thing called the convergence of DevOps a while back, and I talked about not you know. Patrick, definitely. We love Patrick, and it's, it's significant. And I was at that first Ghent DevOps days, and it was an amazing renaissance. Um, you know, a lot of us who have been in operations for years, we felt like, you know, oh, we've been just not really helping anybody. <laughs> you, you come to work, you do all this stuff, and you feel like, and all of a sudden we felt like that there was a light at the end of the tunnel for for actually making change and doing things effective. But that was just one thread because you actually had Eric Reese, um, you know, kind of coming up through his uh, lessons learned, the stuff that he was doing as a CTO at um, IMVU. Um, he was basically preaching, you know, this kind of model of delivery that was unheard of, um, you know, and then which basically came Lean Startup. Uh, you had, you know, uh, Damon alluded to the uh, the 2009 uh, Velocity presentation. I was fortunate enough to be in that room with John Osbar, um, the 10 deploys a day. So you had this kind of web scale driving. You had Eric Reese driving. You had Patrick over in Europe, uh, you know, kind of putting a stake in the ground. Like, I've got to, I want to go ahead and, you know, and get people, smarter people than me in a room to talk about this stuff. But um, as I was telling you earlier, um, Jeff, that 
um, me and Damon actually met because we actually, probably 2007, 2008, we ran something called Bar Camp ESM. And Damon was uh, very passionate about, like, even, I don't know when you started the Dev2Ops blog. But 2007, yeah, same time. So me and you were, you know, turning away. We did the ops camps and, you know, and, and we collided all, we kind of gave up all those, a lot of those efforts and just combined them into DevOps days. So, so there was this kind of um, Cambrian period around 2008, you know, between 2007, 2009 of a lot of people thinking like, in fact, I've actually gone back to, um, to John Osborne and asked him, did they, at, at, at uh, Flickr, were they listening to Eric Reese? Because what Eric Reese did is after he left IMVU, um, after he had written a lot of the, that famous blog, Lessons Learned, he actually became an advisor for a lot of startups. And me and Damon actually did a podcast with one of them, which was Kaching, uh, now they're called Wealthfront. But um, Eric, was, Eric Reese was, one, was their uh, technical advisor. So he spent a lot of time with a lot of these startups in 2008, 2009, so there were a lot of people thinking the same way, and I, I think there was just this magical convergence that that um, you know we put the uh, we put um, you know kind of, we anchor it by what we call DevOps. So, so some of the listeners may be uh, not sure still exactly what DevOps is. You know, we've talked some about the culture, we've talked some about the history. The impression I've gotten about DevOps this week has focused on a few key areas in terms of actually implementing it. Um, at a low level, it seems to be about continuous integration and also leveraging the use of containers to deploy safely and quickly, as well as to bring the compute to the data. And at a high level, it's about enabling continuous delivery, which... Uh, uh, I'm going to duck. David, take it away. <laughs> you're going to duck? Okay, okay. So please interject. Yeah, no, I mean, I understand what you're saying. I think the, the problem people have with, you know, but what is DevOps, right, is is that it doesn't, I, I hate to say the question doesn't really matter, but the idea is seeing that there's a business problem we have. And the business problem is we need to get ideas from a business person's head out to a customer in a customer-facing environment as quickly and reliably as possible with the lowest friction possible. Why? Because we, we, we want to have faster feedback for the business. It's all about feedback loops, right? And, um, you know, so all these things you're doing, none of them is DevOps. These are just ideas that helps us go move more towards that DevOps ideal, right? Which is waste, less wasted effort, less wasted time, less stuff getting in the way. So if you, if you, pick, if you picture the entire delivery process like a factory, right, and this big supply chain and put that up on the wall – just start crossing things out. What are the things we do that get in the way? What are the things that slow us down? What are the things that cause rework to come back at us? What are the things that make these long delays where I have to wait for stuff to come, you know, before I see my stuff in production? Or what's the stuff that we're going to do that constantly causes us to undermine ourselves and cause instability and all these problems? And stop doing them, right? So on one hand, there is all these DevOps problems, which is really just an umbrella for stuff that gets in the way and breaks and slows us down. And then the other hand, there's all these kind of DevOps solutions, which are just ideas, things you've seen work other places, and you have to pick and choose the right ones that are going to work for you based on that supply chain picture you're going you're gonna to have, right? So I think that's a problem is people try to look like, you know, hey, they said Agile. What's Agile? Oh, Agile is Scrum, right? And Scrum is a sort of replacement project management, uh, you know, project management methodology for software development. Like, got very specific. And I don't think, you know, you really are going to be able to find that for DevOps. And I think the DevOps movement has purposely skipped that because they saw what happened with Agile and how it got reduced to Scrum. 
and um, you know, sort of missed the point in the first place. If you read the Agile Manifesto, it looks very little like what you would see, um, what you would see in uh, um, um, you know what Scrum is. Right? If you, ever, if you knew Scrum and all knew was Scrum, then you read the Agile Manifesto, you'd think they're two different things, right? Um, Can so you talk more I think, about think that? that's what is, what is the difference between Agile and Scrum, and how does that relate to DevOps? Well, I mean, if you read the Agile Manifesto, right? It's like you know, it's it's about you know, people over process and. And, uh, you know, interactions and making decisions late in the process. And there's a kind of long list of things. Just Google the Agile, Man- Agile Manifesto, right? And I think Scrum became a specific um, thing. It, it's a methodology for, you know, it's really, I guess you call it a project management methodology. Um, it's sort of a work permission system. It's kind of hard to figure out exactly technically what it is. But it's a way to govern, you know, it became a way to govern software devel- software developers, right? So throw out your waterfall, throw out your rub, throw these other things out, and we're going to go with, um, we're going to go with agile, right? And you know the reality is is that is that that got so focused on that particular domain that it missed the end to end picture, which is today we don't really care about writing software. It's not. This is not about. No, most businesses are not in the business of writing software. They're in the business of running services, yeah. right? So we need to. If you don't consider the whole end to end life cycle, it doesn't matter. You can have have the greatest software development of all time, if you aren't looking at the end-to-end picture, um, then you may not have the best services, and you may not have the best service delivery capabilities. And you see a lot of big organizations, they're stuck in this water scrum fall, right? they got massive batch planning up front. Then you've got this sort of zen-like, agile you know, teams. All the work's broken up into these teams. They're doing their work. They're producing things at these kind of sprint cadence. And then it all gets batched up again and then blasted in a big blast sort of in quarterly or maybe monthly releases onto the operations organization. And if you step back, we're not agile as an organization. We're just, you know, we're still back in the old waterfall. We just develop the actual software differently. But what does the customer care about is the running service. And now... Has anything changed for the customer? No, not really. Right. So, yeah. yeah. I just wanted to point out to you know, to bring that back to like why I think both of us get not not upset, but we think that continuous delivery takes too much of the oxygen of the DevOps discussion for the same argument that Damon is making about Scrum uh, compared to the original intent. Right. So I, I think right now we and, and I think I get a little more frustrated too, is because I think a lot of vendors. Say you know we are DevOps and we do CI/CD. Bang right. And and to Damon's point, you miss some of the the main goals of what DevOps was about, right? Especially if you look at Lean and things like that. Like, are we trying to eliminate waste? Are we trying to see the full value stream? And it doesn't always. It does a lot, but it doesn't always translate directly to oh, I got myself a fancy CI/CD flow. Yeah, and that's why Jez wrote that book. I mean, Jez wrote was one of the co-authors of the continuous, uh, continuous delivery book, and you know he wrote the Lean Enterprise book. Why? Because it's all the other things that you need to be thinking about if you want to achieve those results, right? It's you can't just say, "Hey, I'm going to now deploy ten times a day," or you know, "I'm going to stand up some automated testing, and all my problems are going to go away," especially in an enterprise enterprise context. And the Lean Enterprise takes a step back and looks at all the different facets that go into how do we actually deliver customer value quicker, more reliably, and provide faster feedback to the business so we can like win in the market, right? I mean, that's kind of a mouthful, but um, you know, that's what the business, it goes from what we care about in the technology trenches to making it directly aligned to um, you know, making the business more successful. So we can circle back to that idea of the, uh, what, this, what this DevOps movement means holistically, but to give people more of a feel for the software that the DevOps people are using. What are the most important tools for DevOps? 
I, I mean, I, again, I think after all I just said, it's kind of hard to go to what are the most important tools. But I think there's the most important design patterns, um, which I think you need to think about. And there's some newer tools that start to show how these design patterns uh, work. Um, sure. But that being said, we've seen people in older tools do um, these design patterns quite well, quite, quite, uh, quite well. But I think at the end of the day, it's really about reducing friction, right? And friction meaning that less overhead, less transaction cost on the process. So if you imagine how long, what would it take to get a single line of code, a single line of code, a single line of code change, that level of change initiated by the business. I have an idea. It's going to take one and, you know, some simple thing. How long does it take to get through the entire standard process? And I don't mean you might have an ex- express lane that sort of does something out of band. Um, and you know, we all know that rarely, rarely works. But I mean your standard process, what does it take to get a single line of a single a change small enough to be in a single line of code through your entire life cycle? And what are all the overhead? What's all the friction? What's all the waiting, the delays, the approvals, the multiple tickets, the rework that comes back at you later on, you're trying to work on something else. Um, and then, you know, how many times is it going to fail all the way till we finally get that thing running the way we want it in production? Looking at that, that's the that's 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 all friction, right? How do we remove that and reduce that? And then I th- think it, what you see what people are, are 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 moving towards are these models where it's far more about uh, self service, um, but self service that's validated by you know, multi-level automated testing, so sort of pull-based systems that have to get through, um, you know, there's a strong adherence to automated testing, so all things have to do with that. And then I think what we see on on, on where the world's moved to with containers and microservices is is another logical conclusion that comes from, you know, the question of how to reduce the friction um, so it's easier for developers to do their job and it's easier for the operations um, side of the world to receive the work that developers are doing. And oh, by the way, the roles may change completely too. If we're talking about reducing friction, it may not be two separate people. It may be, you know, some, you know, kind of uh, a newer uh, organizational configuration model. And that's something we're seeing as uh, as well. So I, I know I didn't answer your question. Yeah, and well, and, so, and to kind of paint the, paint the broader picture. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll take it a little deeper, you know, but I mean, you know, the I think what we've seen, you know, there have been tools over the last, say, five or six years with something that you really commonly call infrastructure as code concept, right? Where, like, well, developers will s- source the code for Java or whatever language, whatever framework they're using in something like a Git or GitHub. They'll actually go ahead and use, you know, a pull model um, to drive it into some integration testing, which then would drive you know, some behavior-driven testing, which would go down the line. Um, you know, about five or six years ago, this concept of, oh, by the way, not only source code, but we're going to use language abstractions to define the way um, things are built. You know, how do you build, like, an Apache config? How do you build some middleware, a queuing service, or whatever? And and that's all a language, too, that actually goes in the same repository in a perfect world Became, becomes that same pipeline. Um, but today now we're starting to see, you know, um, we're starting to see more of this concept of, you know, so we, so the last five years we've lived this world of kind of infrastructure as co- code, um, things like Chef and Puppet. Um, I think we're seeing more now, um, you know, because uh, Damon pointed to this, is like containerization, um, microservices, um, you're seeing more of the Netflix model play out in in kind of containers and microservices. 
Um, and that is what some people call immutable delivery, uh, or some people call it immutable infrastructure. Actually, I call it immutable delivery, where actually the idea is that um, you wind up uh, building immutable artifacts. Uh, you know, the whole concept of an in infrastructure as code implied that it actually got compiled at some point real time. So at every layer of the pipe, even in the production, the infrastructure got compiled. Well, you guys in the development world haven't been doing that for years, right? Like you build artifacts, and then during pull time or as, the, as things are going to flow, you pull the artifacts out of an artifact uh, repository. And so what we're starting to see now is um, infrastructure starting to adapt that same model. Where, um, where the actual components of the infrastructure are artifacts that live in an artifact repository or, in, you know, in the case of Docker, it would live in a, a Docker hub, which really is an artifact repository. And so what you'll find is the developers uh, will not only develop their source code on their laptop, but they'll also uh, build and configure and test the infrastructure of which that application lives in. So on your laptop you might actually have a service stack of four or five microservices that make up a service and when you click, you know, that when you basically do the commit, basically what you're finding is that infrastructure kind of goes binary or immutable through the pipeline and if it goes green all the way through, the bits that were running on uh, on the laptop are the same bits that are running in production. And, and this is Netflix kind of introduced this model with Amazon a, uh, AMIs uh, a few years back, but now you're seeing people kind of take that model um, and, and use that delivery through container images and, and having the compute delivery model be container. Yeah. So, and Docker happens to be one of the more popular. Um, I actually work for Docker, you know, um, <laughs> Can I say, sir, I think what's important about infrastructure as code is that it, people realize it's not really about the actual code. It's about treating it like code, right? So it's about, and it's really about infrastructure SDLC, right? It's like the same software development discipline that you would apply to your quote unquote app code, you need to apply to the full stack, right? Because um, really, this is all just software. And if we think about our whole idea here is fast feedback and reducing friction, what better way to the best way to know something is going to run in production is run it in production, right? Well, if we can't just go and make a change directly in production because we need to test it first and make sure it's going to work, um, why not bring production to us, right? So, um, you know, why not say, hey, you know, uh, uh, you know, development organization, I'm going to give you the basic building blocks you need, and then you can go into this repository, make changes as you need, press the button, spin up as many of these environments as you as you need, see right then and there, is this thing going to work? And then you're basically that whole thing is being built, and that really becomes your artifact that you then. That, so the the unit of deployment is no longer hey a war a war file. The unit of deployment is. Ideally, the entire environment. Now, I think right now it's the 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 unit of deployment is uh, a particular you know kind of container, um, but ideally, you know, your unit of deployment should be uh, you know it's data center one dot one, and now it's data center one dot two, and tomorrow's data center one dot three, and you know that's that kind of idea of the entire environment because that's what that's what your your um, your customers care about is a working environment, the working the working service, right? Now, obviously, that's a large cartoon. There's a lot of different ways to slice and dice and look at that, but that's how you got to think about it. And you know, you don't even need Docker or you know or uh, uh, these kind of new microservices containerized architecture to do this. You look at um, you know folks that are out there now. 
um, you know, um, Ticketmaster. Mark Mon at Ticketmaster has a great DevOps Days talk. He also uses um, a tool called Rundeck, which is near and dear to my heart. I'm involved with uh, with Rundeck as well, and um, you know, it's all about hey, how do you how do you let developers define the procedures that operations is going to uh, their NOC team is going to run to do remediation? And just by allowing developers to define the operating procedures, have a clear way for them to pass that through the self service model to the operations organization, um, you know, they're able to dramatically. I think it's they cut escalations down by like two thirds. They cut their overall support costs down by by at least in half. So basically, developers' lives got better. Um, and operations enjoyed, um, you know, kind of not having to figure things completely out on their own. Um, they got a lot of information passed to them from from development. Everyone's life got better, right? But it was a mixing of tr- what traditional roles used to be, and they used, um, you know, a new tool, Rundeck. Um, but essentially, it was all legacy, um, you know, systems that they were that they were we would consider leg systems that they're working with. And you look at what sort of these newer organizations have been able to do with the new architectures with microservices and Docker and, and these things, and it's that same pattern. And those new tools like Docker lets them take it to a whole nother level, and it's like you know on steroids basically compared to um, you know doing this same pattern with the older uh, technologies. Yeah, and John mentioned uh, Netflix's stack, and Adrian Cockcroft was on your show, and he talked some about Netflix. Why was Netflix so pioneering and so uh, influential on the DevOps world? Yeah, let me, no. let me kind of go ahead, Jane. Back John. Yeah, um, so it's kind of funny. Um, you know, I first met uh, Adrian uh, because there was a debate. Adrian had come out and said, there's an old wound, but he had kind of proclaimed that they do uh, no ops, not DevOps. And, and it, it caused the whole uh, part of us in the DevOps movement, we were really struggling to really give birth to this thing because we knew it was so and by awesome. the way, this is a really good article that he wrote called, uh, I think it's like DevOps, no ops and some ops or something on Netflix. Yeah. So early on, but, but I think even in the end he realized, I mean, what his argument was that, um, we run, we don't really run dev or ops. Like we're all kind of the same. And that really is the definition for the most part of DevOps. And, um, but the point is, I mean, he kind of dropped the no ops, idea and has become a, a champion of DevOps. But I, I would say that the things that they did at Netflix, they borrowed, it's, it's again, going back to that kind of, um, like there was this um, Cambrian thing going on, like, um, you know, we, we had them on the show and, you know, so they, they do this thing uh, called, uh, they run this thing called Chaos Monkey. Some of your listeners may know about this already, right? It's a, it's a tool that they built themselves that actually goes, so they run pretty much exclusively on Amazon, right? So it's a tool that just randomly kills um, Amazon instances. I mean, production instances, right? And, and, and most people are like, that's insane, right? But they've built um, a, a failure, you know, a resilience model that embraces failure. And, and, um, and we love that. So, the, you know, the things, the things we love in DevOps is not just, you know, continuous delivery, we like to think about complexity and how complex environments and how web scale is driving complexity. And, and so the chaos monkey is like this brilliant, um, like it, it's the head of the class of how you do complex infrastructure correctly. Yeah, I mean, the, I think the computer science version of this is just the idea that you have to always be prepared for Byzantine failures in distributed systems. Yeah, or you, or it, it's the um, you know, it's the Nassotel of anti-fragile, right? Like you are basically, you know, right. the more you break, the stronger you get. But you know, it's funny when we had him on 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 the uh, podcast. I you know, I asked the, how do you get from zero to chaos monkey? 
and 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 it was brilliant because he said, "Yeah, you know, you have to, um, you what you have to do is you have to set up patterns for delivery." But you did, you know, uh, one of the other things we talk a lot about is, um, you know, determinism versus non-determinism, or we talk about like um, classic command and control companies. You know, everybody will do this, and but at Netflix, it was very very um, um, you know anti. Um, anti-command and control in that they set out and they said, these are the things that you should be doing as a developer. And they included uh, Mike Nygaard's, um, you know, from Release It, his uh, circuit breaker patterns. But there were many other things. So that Cambrian Explosion, they took a lot of great ideas and it seemed like the best ones, right? They put them all together and then they embraced failure. And so what he said happened was they just set out this, like, kind of, here's how you should be developing your application. You should be uh, building things in clusters. You should be resilient. You should be use circuit breaker patterns. You should, and there was a whole list. And you can, you know, as you dig through all of uh, Netflix's architecture presentations, you can find many, many of these interesting things. But he said they handed them out to him. At the end of the end, they made the developers wear pagers, right? And so you could say, "Baloney, I ain't doing that. I've been developing this way for thirty years," and you know. Uh, but you you got woken up at three in the morning because you weren't resilient because you didn't have circuit breaker patterns in your infrastructure, uh, you didn't and that chaos monkey was going to run, and and it just it it formed the patterns formed this model of delivery. Um, they just they seem to I, I say this all the time. I'm good friends with Adrian, and um, I I think Adrian being an architect, and he doesn't take all credit. I mean, there were a lot of people that fed it. He says that he was the guy that kind of hinted, hey, you should read this book. You know, he, In fact, one of the uh, 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 a book that, one of the many books, along with Nygaard's release it, that formed, um, that formed the, the way they thought there was Sidney Decker's uh, Drifted to Failure. Um, so, so Decker was a part of their story as well. Um, but the the point is, Adrian seems to have the correct brain of how you'd want to build a modern, massively scalable infrastructure. And it seems like it was this point of time where they were able to aggregate some of these really, really cool things. And and um, I'll let uh, Damon kind of tell you about the whole management because uh, they're, 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 you know, I'm talking the technical, all the neat stuff about circuit breaker patterns and and embracing failure. <laughs> the fun stuff. <laughs> but, but, but there, you know, there, there, there's another story here, too. It has yeah. to do with culture. So you want to know where this all came from? Um, go back. There's a deck on SlideShare called Netflix Culture. It's a business deck. It's written by the CEO. And the biggest innovation they had is comes from the CEO, from, from, from Reed Hastings, as well as uh, Patty McCord, who was the head of HR, right? And it was kind of one of these Jerry Maguire sort of, you know, late night things, I think, that then grew into something that, that really became, uh, um, you know, really groundbreaking. And it's the whole idea of it basically describes the business culture that they set up. And it was really the kind of core pieces here is freedom and responsibility, that we're going to hire people, uh, the best people we possibly can, and we're going to give them all the freedom they need to get something done, and we're going to give them but they're also going to have all the responsibility, right? So there's that side that, hey, you have all the freedom you need to get whatever you need to get done. We're not going to micromanage you. Or we're not going to dictate what you have to do. Um, you get the freedom, but you also have the responsibility that you've got to deliver and you know, you've got to keep this, 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 this ship running, right? And their kind of key management principles is notion of context, uh, not control, Right, that the job of manager is not to tell you what to do. The job of manager is to give you as clear as possible all the right context. There's a great 
um, um, post recently about this. I also did a did a uh, interview, like a fireside chat, with um, Roy Rappaport and Diane Marsh, two kind of their key uh, t- uh, two key technology lieutenants there at um, at Netflix about this culture and about how how it works. And that idea that as a manager, you support the people that quote unquote report to you. You give them context, and you and your job is mainly to give them the full context that they. That they need, but you don't tell them what to do. Now you ask the right questions. You want to make sure they've covered their bases, but they have again that freedom and responsibility to get it done. So if that's the case, and you give this organization the right business, right business mandate, and the right context to get things done, and the right freedom to get it done, um, what you have is what happened on Netflix. They plugged the right people in. They gave them the right, the right um, context. And, uh, you know, this is this, they basically, at that point the people got together, looked at the wall and said, we need to do this differently if we're going to achieve these goals. And the, and the management leadership team said, we trust you, you know, as long as you can prove your case to us, go and do it. And that's where they got this, I think, groundbreaking model and why people point to them, um, comes down. So I think it really all comes down from the business. I think that's dramatically different than things we've seen in the technology industry in the past, which was, you know, the, the the technology organization, as long as it's encapsulated in the technology side, was sort of given a bit of autonomy. Um, but, you know, it sort of had to follow this rigid one-size-fits-all. Of course, you're going to have dev. Of course, you're going to have ops. Of course, you're going to have a third-party QA organization. Of course, you're going to, you know, follow, you know, ITIL or COVID or whatever these these things are because it's, quote-unquote, best practice. And you look at organizations like Netflix and other uh, high-performing organization in this area, they, you know, were able to just, they threw it out the window and looked at the wall and said, okay, you know, I'm seeing the wall being, they have written out their, their process. What do we got to change? And then go through with the pen and just start, start slashing and burning um, until they got to an optimum model that worked for them and their business. You know, and, and the other thing I want to say too, is that one of the things in that deck that I love, the Hastings, it says, um, it says, um, Adequate or uh, adequate uh, was it the uh, adequate performance will get you a generous severance. Generous severance, right? And, and, and yeah. one of the things that, that was amazing about them, and I think this is a key too, is understanding your culture. Because you know Netflix says we're going to hire unicorns, and you know this is we we talk a lot in Davos unicorns and horses, right? And unicorns are these amazing people, right? Well, they say they're going to hire unicorns. When you come in to interview with them. You better pass the unicorn test, and guess what? They actually do give you a generous severance. There's a video with Patty McCord. You want to see a great video? Google, uh, uh, I think it's like a 2011 video of her at an HR conference. Um, she was uh, their chief talent officer at Netflix, and she talks about people that they they hired 10 X's. You know, they, let's call them unicorns from IBM. They came over, and they just didn't fit that killer killer culture um and you know hey it's time to go shake hands and leave so they cultivated it you know that's the proper way to say it. they built a culture that they wanted well it's also very about culture you know since this amazon thing came out recently yeah. about you know the burnout whatever is that you don't hear that even though netflix has this idea of look we're going to hire the best people and we're going to work hard to train the best people they encourage you to go uh interview other places while you're working there and if you can come back and show that somebody else is going to pay you more money, they'll pay you that money. Pay and um, but at the same time, they also says as a as a manager, it's always put to you to say, you know, if you lost this person today, you know, what how you know how much is it worth to keep to keep this person? And if that well, number Netflix is, is also a much than, smaller company. 
Oh, then well, yeah. I mean, so then who? Then then then, then, then Amazon. I think uh, my my impression of the. I mean, I'm, I'm hesitant to talk about the Amazon stuff too much because I used to work there. But my impression of the Amazon stuff is that a lot of it is the uh, the, the truth of it seems to be something more like uh, the company got so big, uh, certain certain cases just fell through the cracks in because uh, the company oh, yeah, is right, almost right. impossibly but, large. But if you used to work there, I would say there's no denying that there's definitely a hard charging. There's a harder charging. Culture. I was more making a point of a long way a point of there's no one size fits all. So Netflix version of you know hiring the best and expect and, and expecting the best is going to look different than another organization's version of hiring the best. And, well, well and no, my 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 counter argument to that actually, I mean, I'm you know I'm hesitant to discuss this too much because again, it's like not not a business podcast and um and I don't want to speak for Amazon too much, but I I was pretty defensive of Amazon in that regard, and I I left the company after eight months uh, and didn't enjoy it too much, but. I, I don't think um, that my my personal bad experience is is, is really reflective of the uh, what the New York Times was claiming. Like I think if Netflix scaled to uh, 115 or whatever, how, however gigantic Amazon thousands of people is, um, like if if Netflix scaled to that size, I would have a hard time believing it would like they would still be able to uh, cling to the glorious uh, days of the slide share. Um, in as much faith as as they do today. I mean, that said, I, I think it's like it's it's fantastic culture. I agree with almost everything that, you, that you're saying, but um, it's a lot easier to do well, on a smaller scale. But but, but but here's the major point. So about two years ago, I did yeah, every year. I kind of do a themed presentation. For most of the year, I do kind of the same. Yeah, I change the presentation, but I kind of feed it on a theme. And and two years ago, I did uh, culture um, uh, as a strategy. You know, um, basically. Um, and and what I looked at is companies like Netflix at the time, GitHub. Unfortunately, things have gone a little bit south there, and not for other reasons. But uh, Etsy is a good example where they 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 understand their culture, and you know Netflix has it, Etsy has it, and you know GitHub had it for a while, and you know I don't know if, if they're going to get it back with all some of the problems they've had. But the point is, like that model is in place, and you and and you would say, well, John, those are all small companies. And I will tell you that GE, about three years ago, has tried to do the same thing. Now it's much harder, but they're feeding. They're going back to their roots. In fact, uh, two and a half years ago, I, maybe it was two years ago, I, I was at Eric Reese's Lean Startup Conference, and um, their um, their CMO, I can't think of her name right now, she was one of the keynotes, and she talked about we are getting back to our roots, and we are the original entrepreneur company, right? Um, and and like and as you start talking to people at different areas in GE, you start hearing them all starting to speak the same language. In fact, it seems like everybody's gotten a copy of Eric Ries's Lean Startup book because they use from from head to toe, from the CMO down. I actually tried to sell some software. One of the companies I work with some cloud stuff to people at GE, and you could listen to the CMO and you can listen to the grunt who is basically doing the OpenStack, you know, private cloud testing. And they were all basically using a similar language. So I think that um, there is a possibility of leadership. It's harder at scale, um, but um, but the um, but but the, you know it's the idea that you are you kind of understand your culture, you build towards your culture, and you nurture that building. Yeah. Well, I'm saying your audience is most likely a pretty technical audience, and it's one of those like this is where the feeling of hope, hopelessness kind of comes in. So we get a lot of people. Uh, this is a funny conversation to have all the time, especially 
two conferences. They're like, oh, but you know, Damon, how, how do we get our how do we get our, our our executives bought in, or you know, how, how do we get my management bought into this into into these ideas? And it's always like, well, who sent you here? It's like my manager. <laughs> it's like you know, you get this kind of cyclical uh, issue that they have, which is you know, the business wants to change. Um, and they're delegating down to the technology organization to go make this change happen, to go run faster. And it can feel frustrating um, to hear about these unicorns and hear about these about these organizations. So, I, so I think it's important to say, hey, look, we're not saying you know follow the Netflix model or the Amazon model or any 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 model. It's more just looking at these organizations to understand why are they doing the things they're doing, and not just assuming that oh, we can go copy their tools and expect to get their results. You have to understand why they're doing it in the first place and sort of what are the, the what's the cultural or the mindset, I guess called mindset's a better look at it. What's the mindset um, and operating model that they're using those tools within? Because uh, if you don't look at all three of those things, you're going to have a hard time uh, achieving success. And you're going to get frustrated or burnt out because you're just going to be, you know, banging your head against the wall. Um, it's like the idea of you have, if you have a problem shooting yourself in the foot, the last thing you need is a machine gun, right? Mm. You need to fix the things that are going to solve your aim, and then you can start shooting faster, right? And I think that's 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 what we should probably be focusing on because that's what people can actually control within their you know more limited scope. So you had an episode recently with Dave McCrory where he talked about data gravity. What is data gravity, and why is it relevant to DevOps? Yeah, so Dave, Dave McCrory is the CTO of Basho, the guys who do React, and he actually was one of the original authors of... Uh, the Cloud Foundry, um, but um, David, a few years back, uh, had this kind of notion of a changing paradigm for how we do compute. If you think about the classic model for how we, the relationship between data and compute, in our industry, we've pretty much always moved data to compute. Um, you know, we've done it in, in lots of different ways. Even our big, you know, MapReduce and even Hadoop things are kind of moving from kind of object storage to, um, you know, uh, HDFS or file systems that, that, that work well with a MapReduce paradigm. But the point is that we've always moved data. Even load balancing to a certain extent is kind of a fake way to get data uh, kind of moved towards the compute. But what David did a few years ago, and he's got a website called datagravity.org. Don't go to datagravity.com. They're a vendor that basically kind of swiped his idea. Um, and he, he does a lot more uh, deeper explanation than what I'm going to give you, which is more of a layman's, but it works, which is we kind of flipped that model to, so that we move compute towards the data. And in a world where a lot of the models that we're seeing now, large clustering, IoT, data analytics, bioinformatics, all these big data pieces, it's going to be very difficult to move data around. So uh, I think he, forced, he had this kind of vision of this model of compute. What's interesting is that I think that I, I, a lot of what I've talked about over the last year or so is this kind of convergence of um, microservices, um, containerization, and data gravity, so that th this actually where the three come together and really fit well, because um, if you think about changing the model of compute, right, the, the virtualization model, instantiation time of a virtual image could be a couple of minutes, convergence times might be a couple more time minutes, um, but when you start talking about containers, instantiation time of a container could be 500 milliseconds and actually you can a lot of people will instantiate 
uh, a multiple service stack in under a second fully converged. And um, so now you think about this world where there's this demand to think about doing compute differently where you might have pockets of data around the world. A good friend of mine, James Urquhart, wrote this article three or four years ago called Follow the Law. Like, you know, we think about cloud computing and governance and, and all these regional restrictions of how you can do with data. But what if you could just compute around into where the data lies? So that, that applies today now with big data analysis where now you could take swarm of compute. The other thing about containerization is the time to live is incredibly short. So not only the instantiation time, but most models that people deliver, particularly if you, mo if you couple that with um, microservices where it's very function-oriented, you find this converged model of pockets of data around in different parts of the region or world states, and you have containerized compute where you can run hundreds, maybe thousands of compute against this data. And dare I say, um, you have this metaphoric um, kind of macro map-reducing process where you, you're swarming compute, you're aggregating up. Um, and so I always say that um, that basically um, containers are the killer app for microservices and data gravity is the killer app for containers. Imagine, you know, continuous uh, delivery. If you get that right you know, on a single sort of value stream, that can get us at maybe 10x what we used to do or 20x what we used to do. Now you add in this, this decoupling of, of microservices, we're talking to jump to 1,000x probably, right? It's, it's just the speed um, differential is, is, is incredible. Same way with, you know, data gravity. If you have to constantly think about moving data to these new services, to the new things you're trying to do, it's really going to slow down the organization and limit the number of options that you have. But if you think about, well, let's flip it on its head and let's move compute to to the data. Now we can spin stuff up, start things on, turn things on and off, spin up new ideas, experiment at will on this kind of big major asset that we can't move easily, which is our, our data, right? So let's flip it on its head. Now we can move faster. Really, it's about organizational throughput and organizational agility or nimbleness, whatever, business agility, nimbleness, whatever you want to call it. That's why all of these things are coming up. And I think that's why you know the, the DevOps movement has sort of stitched all these things together under one umbrella because it's about how do you apply these things to make the business um, to make the business win, right? And that's, I think, the big, the big difference here. And uh, between DevOps and a lot of the uh, previous, um, you know, sort of technology-based movements that you might be used to. All right, so I'll close by asking each of you, what isn't DevOps? Hmm. It's not a thing. It's it's, it's not something. Like you, you can't put your finger on it and say that's DevOps um, in terms of, you know, uh, it's not a tool, it's not a technology. I think we're seeing a lot of backlash now against people said, well, might as well just call DevOps a job and because now we see it's just become the re- uh, it's the new name for the release engineering team, or it's like, oh, we're going to break down silos, so I'm going to make a new silo and call it the silo breakers, right? It doesn't really make 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 sense. Um, so I think we're seeing some backlash against that in terms of you know some confusion around that. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's the best way I'd say is DevOps is not a thing, right? It, it's DevOps is a set of of problems statements and a, or that you know is always growing and a set of solution possibilities that are always growing aligned towards that core business problem of you know how do we fix what's getting in the way from us moving quicker and more reliably as a business damon and john thank you so much for coming on to software engineering daily i recommend all my listeners check out devops cafe if you have any interest whatsoever in devops 
or software engineering topics related to DevOps.